Motasa Pakavato Arhato Sama Samputasa Namo Tasa Pakavato Arhato Sama Samputasa Namo Tasa Pakavato Arhato Sama Samputasa Putang Tamang Sankang Namasam One of the things that is unique in a monastery is that we have a chance to uh, not be charming to not feel we have to engage with each other and yet we have a, a calling to be compassionate and, and uh, caring to each other and there's a difference between being charming and engaging and charismatic and clever and funny and that so very good the difference between that and compassion compassion is, is empathy isn't it empathy for how, where a person's at, how they're feeling. And one of the things that we allow each other in a monastery is we allow each other to be silent. And it's very important to allow that for each of us, that kind of sense of sense of silence, because oftentimes there's material that comes up into consciousness which is triggered by events, usually personalities, memories get triggered. And these moods that, that come up are, are can be very strong and very powerful and they're very important just to know them as moods and bear witness to them in a way where you're neither threatened by them think you have to get rid of them or believe in them or get lost in them so acting out on moods so if i'm in a negative mood and just dumping on people we say no no you can you can be mindful you can put that mood to the side and, and be kind and compassionate. Give it a go. But if there was a kind of demand that our life was one where we're always happy and charming, then what would we do with that negative stuff? What would we do with the feelings of loneliness or, or resentment or jealousy or irritation or lustful energies? Or, you know, these kind of powerful things that that come up in the human consciousness. Well, if we felt we always had to engage with each other, then, of course, we'd have to suppress that. We'd have to put it to the side and engage with people. And sometimes we have to do that. I certainly, I don't have to suppress things, but certainly if I've got some kind of a terror running through me and a, and a layperson comes with a question, I, I just put it to the side and, and try to relate to them. And then they'll come up again later. It's the way the mind works. And that's not hypocrisy. You know, it's just, just having enough mindfulness to allow things to come up, work with them, or engage. Engage with life when necessary. You know, when we were, when we were children and adolescents, when a mood came up, we either dumped it on our, our families, our friends, whoever, and uh, inflicted it on them where we just distracted or got, got lost in it, and so on. That's, that's the life of, of delusion, I'm just believing in the moods of the mind. Denying moods of the mind doesn't work either, kind of thinking that one shouldn't have any kind of moods and, and always be engaging, whatever. So when, when a person is, is silent, sometimes in, in conventional cultures, they're, oh, he's in a bad mood. And, and, you know, we can kind of make joking references, that, oh, he's in, a, he's in a heavy mood. But that's not a very kind thing to do, uh, because that heavy mood is very important to pay attention to. 
very very important because that's where we develop where we can develop non-grasping when there's a, when there's a strong mood it comes to the mind the the habitual uh, way that we respond to that is through some kind of compensation through through distraction here we have less compensations less distractions through uh, self-analysis we think about it we think about it we think about it through trying to fix it um, trying to put in an alternative trying to substitute something and so on and so forth but in the purity of awareness these things can be known as they are and if and if it's very very strong you need you need a lot of attention you need a lot of care to be with that just to be with it right not, not even to think you have to fix it and that's the difficulty of being in a community when when there's a strong and heavy mood comes up into the mind there's almost a you almost feel intimidated that you can't feel that and you know, you have to be whatever and yet we have the recommendation that the way we communicate with each other, each other is, is mature, is compassionate, is considerate. So it's a kind of middle way between just dumping one's mood on everyone. That's one extreme. The other extreme is just kind of not allowing to become conscious. So if we give each other a chance to be silent when we want to be silent, uh, we give each other that kind of opportunity and Venerable Kame is very good. He comes in and he sits quietly and it affects us all. I'm really praising for that. Now that's a, this is a foreign thing. It's a foreign kind of thing to do. You know, it's not the usual cultural things we do. We, we engage. Engage with each other. And, and it's good to engage. Like if someone's new here who doesn't know meditation, doesn't know monasticism, and they feel uncomfortable, it's, it's a kind thing to engage with them, isn't it? If you see, you know, we can notice that if someone new comes in and they're looking around and we're all silent, they get, gee, the guy gets really paranoid and we just let him get paranoid. That would be, that'd be unkind, wouldn't it? But, and that's always about empathy. Empathy both for your own predicament and for the world around you allows you to, to know, okay, now, you're not going to be with this and the others. It's okay. They'll be all right. They'll be all right. Now, what happens when we, when we allow each other permission to, to do that? And we, we ourselves don't feel we have to be a personality, a certain kind of a personality. But if the whole community gives permission for that, well then, when those things come, come forward, they're the opportunity for contemplating peace. Because in, in the midst of a very strong mood, all the challenges of self-view, of attachment, of grasping, of self-identity, of, of craving come up. They all come up into consciousness. You don't want this mood. You self-identify. I self-identify with it. I shouldn't be like that. Or with the narrative that, that goes on. We try to fix it. There's something wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's just the kundas. It's just flow of consciousness now has a, a particular mood in it. And that capacity to be okay with things that our culture might not think are okay. Like it's okay to feel down. It's okay to feel envy. It's okay to feel resentment. They're okay, because they're natural. To indulge in them and believe in them is, is disaster. But that's not what we're saying. We're saying that the arising of the mood is natural. The perpetuation of the mood, the indulgence in the mood is unskillful. But the arising of the mood and its manifestation in consciousness as it is, 
is the way that we develop the capacity to be with all things, to be with all manner of mental, physical phenomena. Body awareness is very good, very, very good. Awareness of the mood as a mood, not taking it personally. And this is actually the contemplation of peace. Because when we say the word peace, in a dualistic way, we say, well, the mood is not peaceful. But the peace that we are contemplating is, is a non-dual peace. It's not the peace of having an experience which is pleasant, because pleasant and unpleasant are part of the same package. No, it's a, it's a, deeper, a deeper kind of peace. It's the peace of knowing change. Now, that doesn't feel peaceful in the f- first, because we are so identified with the moods, we're so drawn to it, and we have to do something about it. And that, it's that stickiness of our moods, and then all the thinking and narrative and storyline that comes through the moods that keep us preoccupied. And then the, the recommendations on the contemplation of peace is to notice the self-identity, to notice the craving, to notice the attachment, all this different kind of language we use. And as you notice that, then you begin to intuit that the, the awareness of change is actually very peaceful, even though the mood itself is sour, difficult, unpleasant. And you, you begin to see that the, the peace that is a possibility is always there, and it's not dependent on the mood. And that's a great source of insight and liberation. This is the Vasudhi Magna, which is the great tome on Sila Samadhi Panya, and in it it has the, it's a commentarial tome, in it has the various classic subjects for meditation that Theravada Buddhism is part of the tradition of Theravada Buddhism. So I was just looking this up. This is the tenth of the recollections, the recollection of peace. One who wants to develop the recollection of peace, mentioned next to mindfulness, should go into solitude. So this is from the Anguttara Nikaya, bhikkhus. Insofar as there are dhammas, whether formed or unformed, fading away is pronounced the best of them. That is to say, the disillusionment of vanity, the elimination of thirst, the abolition of reliance, the termination of the round, the destruction of craving, fading away, cessation, nibbana, from the Anguttara. Bhikkhus, insofar as there are dhammas, whether formed or unformed, fading away is pronounced the best of them. That is to say, the disillusionment of vanity, the elimination of thirst, the abolition of reliance, the termination of the round, the destruction of craving, fading away, cessation, nibbana. So this is a translation from the 1950s, so the disillusionment of vanity would nowadays, I guess, be said, disillusionment of ego, something like that. And this is the Vasudhi Magas commentary on that. Herein fading away is not mere absence of greed, but rather it is that unformed Dhamma, which, while given the names disillusionment of vanity, etc., in the clause, that is to say, the disillusionment of vanity, etc., to Nibbana, is treated basically as fading away. It is called disillusionment of vanity 
because on coming to it all kinds of vanity, such as the vanity of conceit and the vanity of manhood, are disillusioned, undone, done away with. It is called elimination of thirst, because on coming to it all thirst for sense desires is eliminated and quenched. But it is called abolition of reliance, because on coming to it reliance on the five cords of sense desire is abolished. It is called termination of the round, because on coming to it the round of the three planes of existence is terminated. It is called destruction of craving, because on coming to it craving is entirely destroyed, fades away and ceases. It is called Nibbana, because it has gone away from, has escaped from, is disassociated from, craving, which is acquired in common usage of the name fastening, because by ensuring successive becoming, craving serves as a joining together, a binding together, a lacing together of the four kinds of generation, five destinies, seven stations of consciousness, and nine abodes of being. This is how peace, in other words, Nibbana, should be recollected according to its special qualities beginning with disillusion of vanity. But it is also it should also be recollected according to the other special qualities of peace stated by the Blessed One in the suttas beginning with Because I shall teach you the unformed, the truth, the other shore, the heart to see, the undecaying the lasting, the undiversified, the deathless, the auspicious, the safe, the marvelous, the intact, the unafflicted, the purity, the island, the shelter. So when you have something quite strong in the sense experience you're experiencing, say physical pain or a, a strong emotion, a strong memory, a strong sound, these really impact your attention, don't they? They really grab your attention. And there's something very good about that because they really grab your attention. If you're on the game, you can really notice craving, say, or, or, or being drawn to it or being attracted to it or a storyline around it because it's so strong. And normally when something's very strong, you kind of, unless it's just blissful, but if it has any kind of negative tone to it, a repetitive tone, you don't want it. You want to get rid of it. And so craving arises, craving not to have that. Very common, isn't it? Or you think you have to, that it's like wrong to have that, so you think you have to do something about it. Or just distract. Talk with someone or, or do something uh, distracting, which is like having a compensation. But now, in a contemplative life, we sort of trap ourselves in a monastery for shorter or longer periods of time with more or less commitment to the form. And in that entrapment, which is done deliberately, skillfully, voluntarily, material comes up because we can't get what we want, obviously. There's some things we get which we do want. We have shelter, we have a very beautiful environment, and we live with very good people. But because now we, we can't rearrange everything and just make our own schedules or eat when we want to eat or live where we want to live or whatever, their material comes up, doesn't it? And because it's such a simple situation, it's non-threatening, it's just so ordinary, then anything that comes up, you 
have to be very deluded to think it's someone else's fault. (laughs) If you think how good it is here, really, compared to what's going on, if you think that the problem lies with a person outside of you, yes and no. Yes and no. On one hand, one could say that the problem is outside if it's against the Vinaya. So if we have a if we have an agreement around communication, around authority and responsibility, uh, some of these are clear, some of them are not clear. Uh, around moral discipline, around routines and chores and all of that, we can say to each other, if something is amiss, we say, well, like the other uh, morning, Venerable Chunda reminded all the lay people to make sure you stay for the washing of the dishes after breakfast and after after lunch. Okay, so we have that kind of functional, functional reflection about our duties. But if the mind is holding to resentment and anger and fear and da, 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 all of that, judgment, projection, then that's... And one believes that the problem is outside of one, then there's no freedom, obviously. So I think we're all pretty mature to take responsibility for our stuff in that way. So the, the person, the situation which then triggers that is to some extent, a great teacher. Obviously, you don't tell them that. Um, but they, there's something being, there's, a, there's some kind of teaching going on because now some material is coming up now, which is, is difficult to process. But in, in the skill of processing this, you, you develop this incredible sense of anything is okay. I can take anything. I can be with any, any emotion any physical feeling, it's all okay. It all belongs. And the heart begins to have this, this great confidence in awareness of change. Where it doesn't, where it doesn't have is where, as the text on peace is saying, vanity comes up, or ego comes up, or self-view comes up. And those are the endless storylines that we have, the endless thoughts that we have, the endless projections that we make about each other. And that needs to be identified. And if we don't identify that, we don't see that, and we believe in it, then we're lost. We're lost in those thought projections. And then the attachment to craving. Craving is very habitual. Craving, we don't even see it sometimes. We just kind of get into it. But when you have some material coming up, and you know you don't want it, or you know you're caught up into it, then one has to bring up, well, what is craving here? What is it, what is it that I want that I don't have? Or do, what, what do I have that I don't want? And that sense of, of bringing up the topping of craving helps you to be aware of craving, which is a contemplation of peace. When we are caught by craving, then there's no contemplation. We're simply the victims of our habits and addictions through thought or whatever way we do it. And then when we, when we have that sense of presence and, and then we see craving as an object, that's the contemplation of peace. Because now we are taking the position of peace rather than attachment to craving. And again, it might not feel peaceful because the feeling tone is unfulfilled, unfulfilled craving. And unfulfilled craving is not nice, it's not pleasant, it's unpleasant. But now our our position is no longer just seeking the pleasant and trying to get at the unpleasant. We find that transcendent peace which can be with both, and that's unfulfilled craving. Unfulfilled craving doesn't feel comfortable. No way. 
attachment to like dependency on on sense experience yeah? when things negative things come up and we can't be with them we realize well, I'm really dependent on happy moods inspired moods pleasant bodily feelings pleasant memories I'm really dependent on that because when it's opposite comes self-doubt irritation at someone being fed up with whatever's going on da 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 I get really caught by that that means I'm dependent on the khandhas I'm dependent on quality of emotion I'm dependent on duality and that logically you can see that cannot be peaceful that cannot be peaceful so again one, one steps back oh Or whatever the kanda formation is, whatever the mood, whatever the thought, whatever the feeling, I should be able to be aware of this as change if I really understand transcendent freedom. I should be able to be with this. And so you take a kind of challenge to yourself, whether it's like a sickness that you have or some um, disillusionment with polybuddhism or a person, uh, uh, an interaction with a person which is very difficult. And then you say, well, I should be able to be with this. Because it's just khandhas. Now again, this only works if we have vinaya. If we have some kind of common agreement of human decency, caring for the place, fulfilling our responsibilities, right speech, moral precepts. If we don't have that, then this, this kind of work is impossible because you need to protect yourself, you need to defend your turf, but here you don't really need to defend your turf, because there is no turf really. So you kind of look at something like that whole, how I like to defend my turf, or hold on to some turf, this is my place, this is my work, this is my space, this is my responsibility, You're, you're intruding on my turf, or being insensitive and just stomping on everyone, and saying, well, kind of like being brutal and things like that. So, again, going back, allowing people to be just the way they are. Allowing a person to be silent. Allowing a person to be depressed. Allowing a person... Like, not feeling we have to cheer each other up. Although, that can be really good. I remember uh, Kitty Saro was in hospital. Mopacha went to go see him. And... uh, he was just so charming and so so humane and so compassionate. And Kitty Sara had uh, one of those forest fevers, uh, typhoid. It was a pretty heavy disease. and he was, I had it too. It was really heavy. Anyway, Lopat Shah went to see him in hospital because he was close to death, I think. He didn't die. But Lopat Shah was just so charming, picked up his energy, you know. So we can do that. We can do that. We can really help each other like that. But, you know, sometimes a person doesn't want to be cheered up. You know, sometimes a person just, well, I just want to be with this now. Leave me alone. Just let me be with this. And that that's a kind of, it's a kind of, it's all right. It's all right. Whereas conventional society, you know, if anyone here is going, how are you, darling? And cheer up and so on and so forth. You can always feel guilty about not being cheerful. But that being cheerful is just, it can be a personality trait, but also it can be a a social habit that we inflict on each other. So the kind of norm in in a monastery is, you know, we don't have to walk around glum, but we can't, you know, the kind of, 
the silence of inner attention is, is very, very, very uh, interesting, very, very useful, and it's different. So sometimes we feel uncomfortable if there is that kind of silence, you know, we don't we feel we have to do something or we think it's us. And that's a good thing to look at, like self-consciousness. When, when, a, when, when people are silent and you feel really self-conscious, you really come up strong, get it? And you just notice that, oh, oh, the need to engage or whatever. But then as I, as I was saying earlier, oh, here's, here's a person that doesn't understand what we're doing, thinks we're a bunch of freaks. Well, help them out. Right? Help them out. So it's not like an absolute, is it? It's not. It always. It's not like a rigid. I'm never going to speak with you. I mean, sometimes you get that people who, who practice noble silence and then they write notes all the time. And I say, would you just tell me something? Write <laughs> these stupid notes. <laughs> As if that's noble silence. You know, they had a kind of like I'm not going to communicate with you and so on. But but like being silent but being human. Right, being being still within yourself, and then communicating in a proper way, but not just you know blathering on all the time. That's not necessary. So, so that our life in a monastery is actually quite normal, rather than affected in all kinds of weird ways, either through speech, action, movement, thought, whatever. Just to be quite quite normal in a kind of contemplative and, and, and gentle way rather than be forced and, and controlling. So the monastic life is a kind of dance. It's a kind of craft. It's a kind of art form that, that we engage in and, and learn little by little. So you know, people who come into the monastery are not used to it. They just hopefully pick up on it in, in a good way. But those who, who stay here longer, we have a chance to you know, we have a chance to develop a, a set of social relationships which are perhaps somewhat different than the norm, right? Maybe more unique and caring, silent, allowing. Where I think the sense of personality isn't that which is foremost. You know, that's quite often in group behavior that, you know, the alpha male dominates and things like that, again, or whatever. But here it's more like. It's more like a contemplative thing, isn't it? Contemplative. So I'll leave that for your reflection, then. Andamayam lamakataya sadhu karandarama se sadhu